This episode of Gospel Bound is brought to you by Crossway and the new ESV Bible app. The ESV Bible app is designed to help you engage with God's Word on a deeper level, offering elegant, intuitive features to personalize your study, including multiple audio recordings of the full ESV text, audio playlists, customizable background music, daily reading plans, and more. Download the ESV Bible app on your phone or tablet, or visit esv.org to get started. You're listening to Gospel Bound, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition for those searching for firm faith in an anxious age. I'm your host, Colin Hansen. Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Bound, and let's talk. I'm Colin Hansen. I'm the host of Gospel Bound, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Melissa Kruger, one of the hosts of Let's Talk. Melissa, it's great to be talking with you. It's so fun to be here with you. We wanted to take you behind the scenes, look back on the big stories and trends of 2020, and thank all of you, our listeners, for encouraging us in this work. It's just been a tremendous year, even amid all of the chaos, uh, none of which we anticipated when we launched both of these podcasts. So it's been pretty wild, but again, I think a very rewarding experience. Absolutely. Before we begin, actually, Colin, you know, a lot of people may know you as the host of Gospel Bound, um, but anyone who works with you knows that you actually do a ton more work at TGC. In fact, you've been at TGC longer than anyone other than Don Carson, you know, who basically helped found TGC. And so can you tell us a little bit about what you do? For TGC, yeah. So I've been here for for more than a decade now. Uh, celebrated that ten year mark back in July, which you and my colleagues were very kind to send me encouraging notes and a gift and things like that. That was really that was really um, a highlight for 2020 for me. For his birthday, we sang for him, <laughs> and that was not a kindness to you when we sang to you. Uh, well, everybody knows you can't sing together over Zoom. Well, you know you cannot get in sync. It just does not work. <laughs> These are things that we've learned in 2020. So I've been responsible for all of the content development since 2010. So that would be the books that we publish, the articles, the podcast content that we come up with, a vision for multimedia and social media, just helping on the idea side of things. Also hiring new editors and hired you, of course, mm-hmm. one of uh, one of my best moves, if I might say so. Uh, we could talk about that. But uh, yeah, and then also includes the events. And I know we want to talk about uh, what we're looking forward to in 2021 with the events here as well. So uh, choosing the speakers and the topics and and things like that, working especially with the president of TGC, who is who is Julius Kim on developing that. So now, Melissa, I'm trying to remember, usually I say something like, Melissa, so you've been working with TGC now for two years, and you're like, yeah, six years, Colin. Thank you very much. <laughs> so so how long has it been at TGC for you? And I'm also wondering just how many different jobs <laughs> have you held since that in that time? I know. That's a good question. I'm terrible with dates, too. I really, I really judge most dates by how old was my kid when I started doing this, and that helps me to count back. I initially came on, I wasn't working for TGC, I think in around... 2016, you asked me to come on as a blogger. Um, So that was really the first thing I started doing. Um, TGC started hosting my blog. And then a year later, um, you asked me to come on as an editor. Um, And I'm so glad that you did because I've loved being a part of that team. And then I worked as an editor, I think about a year and a half. I can't really remember. Or maybe last summer, I came on full-time with TGC um, in our women's content and women's initiatives. And so that's what I do now. And I, I really love it. But I, I do just want to say on Colin's job, if you don't know this, if there's any content that you've enjoyed across the board, podcast, you know, articles, books, he's got a hand in it somewhere. I'm so thankful for your vision in that and how how it has grown through the years. I mean, you know, we're not just a website anymore. We have all these different areas um, in which it's grown. And I'm just so thankful for the ways the Lord has gifted you to serve um, this organization in such a broad way. It's a real gift. 
Thank you, Melissa. Now you've also notified everybody to whom to send all of their hate mail. <laughs> so right, now you, you've clued in all of the angry Facebook groups about how to reach out and where they can direct all their complaints. I've been trying for 10 years for people to not find out any of that. I'll send you his email. Well, one thing we want to talk about today, um, we want to really kind of recap 2020. It's been a year. <laughs> there's a lot. It's been, it's been a year. That's <laughs> it's true. Been a year. <laughs> There's a ton that's um, gone on, and we can't really talk talk about theological stories without talking about words like COVID-19 and pandemic and mask. Um, When I found myself shopping online for cute masks, I thought the world has really changed in dramatic ways. And the fact that Every store I like had cute masks to shop from, um, but it's been a it's been a year that I think none of us could have predicted in any way, um, and it's had huge impact on our conversations about the church and our relationships in the church. And can you just speak a little bit into how you've seen those conversations develop throughout 2020? You and I, Melissa, were together with the rest of TGC's senior leadership team just the week before the shutdown, right? So I remember back in those crazy days that seemed like forever ago and also yesterday, somehow at the same time, I had flown on a Sunday night out to San Diego. We'd been together for a few days. I got up and had like a 4 a.m. or something like that crazy flight all the way across to Greenville, South Carolina to speak. There came back to Birmingham. And once I once I mean, you were, of course, going back to Charlotte. Since then, it's been nothing. We, we've shifted from a moment of almost of, of initial panic of sorts, of imagining all kinds of worst case scenarios. We switched from that into almost a kind of, well, this is different and almost in some ways a little bit relieving because I had all these things that I had to do and now I have some extra time. And here in Alabama, at least, we had the most beautiful spring. Yes. So all kinds of time spent outdoors with family. And and then all of a sudden it gets into, oh, things are going to get better. Oh, no. I mean, they actually are not really getting better. And one of the key moments, and this is related to one of the other stories that we want to talk about, was George Floyd's death and the protests that followed there. Then from there, things got in deeper into the presidential election. And when you tie those three things together in, in my top 10 theology stories of 2020, I've, I've written that the top three stories of this year, uh, COVID-19, George Floyd's death and president Trump's loss, all of them would have been number one in any other year, but all three of them, happened in 2020, and all three of them are related to each other. They're all connected. They would not have happened without the other at some level. And that's what it's done for us in terms of theology and culture and church, because it has put almost all of our churches under a kind of siege. And it's not only because of the pandemic, if that were just in and of itself, we would be mourning here about how we're not going to be singing Christmas carols together and we're not going to be having candlelight services and things like that, which is, you know, sad in and of itself. But when you add on to that friendships that have been broken permanently, uh, pastors who have left the ministry, which I'm hearing a lot of, groups of leaders within churches who share almost all of the same theology and yet can't even speak to each other anymore. It just seems as though of all years that we did not need to be spending more time by ourselves and online, it was 2020. And yet that's exactly what was delivered up to us under the good providence of God. And so I think just as it, in retrospect, would be pretty foolish to look back on 2020 and think that we had a good sense of what was coming, I don't think we have a real great sense right now of how this is all going to to play out, except I will say that, um, as it always does, Advent comes at a good time. Mm, it, it does. It does. And I, I think um, it is just hard to measure 
the impact it's had on churches. Um, even we had just switched churches about five ma- months before COVID happened. And, you know, it's always hard to, to get to know others in a new congregation. And then when you're not meeting every week, it's, it's just been this loss. And I think people have a hard time even quantifying what that loss has been. We've had some great articles. I remember one from our co-editor, Megan Hill, on it, it actually makes it harder to dig into the truths that we need from scripture when we don't have that regular meeting every week. And I know I've seen that in my own life. There, it, it's one thing to go online and you get to have this church service in your den, kind of in your pajamas. <laughs> but there is something about being together collectively and worshiping the Lord collectively and sitting there with others hearing the truth that it's a huge huge blessings. And I know we're all mourning that loss, but hopefully um, we will have those meetings soon, Lord willing, as we've all learned to say about everything this year. Again, you also talked about the effects of the tragic death of George Floyd um, on conversations that we're having in the church and probably how it's prompted conversations that definitely needed to happen. Um, Can you speak to that a little more and how the deaths of multiple um, African Americans in different communities have really spurred on some healthy discussions, some unhealthy acts of violence that maybe haven't been helpful in, in in ways. But can you discuss how in the church this is a conversation we really need to have about racial injustice and how these deaths have prompted that, and how you've seen that going as people are having those conversations? Yeah, we remember also Ahmaud Arbery, Brianna Taylor, Jacob Blake all of them different circumstances. And yet, one of the things that I've seen reiterated in 2020 is the need for majority culture Christians like you and me to be patient and to listen attentively attentively to African Americans about their experiences and how they receive the news, how they watch the videos, how they process that. I would love to say that what we've seen in 2020 has been an outpouring of empathy and collaboration about tangible reforms that we might be able to bring and actually find consensus around. Because thankfully, I don't see anybody saying that any of these things happening was good. Okay, I mean, there were some times when people did think that doing these things was somehow a good thing. Okay, well, at least nobody is arguing that. We disagree strongly, some of us, um, about exactly how to fix that. But at least we do recognize that these things should not be happening, that these are tragic. Okay, you'd think that that would be a starting point and then be able to connect that to minority experiences and how they see things through their particular perspective. And I do think there has been some of that. And certainly at TGC, I I think about Shai Lin's article, George Floyd and Me, was one of our most read and best appreciated articles of this year. And I think that contributed a lot of, of helpful theological discourse in terms of how do we bring our faith to bear on these current events and on these experiences that some of us can't relate to, but do want to do want to address or want to at least at some level acknowledge. The problem is that what we've mostly seen in 2020, and I think this is very closely related to the partisan dynamics of the presidential election, is how almost the entire discussion has been deviated away from these experiences and how minorities um, connect them and how they experience them, then to what we might be able to do collaborate. And you can blame whoever you want on that. You could blame the defund the police movement um, for veering that off. You could blame public health officials for saying that mass protests are okay, but meeting in schools is not. Nonsensical public health advice in a pandemic like that. You can blame whatever you want, but it just seems like we're called to a different, higher standard in the church. And what's been discouraging to me in 2020 is a trend that we've actually seen develop going all the way back to Ferguson in 2014, which is that there isn't a lot of patience for being able to 
wrestle with very complicated history, very complicated sociology, complicated theology, complicated history, all of which or some of which may implicate some of us in our study. Instead, it's far easier to fall into familiar partisan patterns to label people who are different and ideas that are different and foreign to you, lump them all together under sort of a broad terms, and then seek to condemn and to ostracize and to penalize people who hold to those supposed views, even if those people don't hold to those views. So that's where the theological discourse has gone. The only thing I'll say in terms of context there is if we are surprised that it's gone that direction, then we do need to study our history more carefully because that's been a pattern uh, within the evangelical church. And so I continue to believe that there, that we can break the pattern. I see in Birmingham, uh, where I live, a lot of people, especially younger Christians who are motivated to learn more and what they do with that information, I'm not really sure, but learning is at least a necessary place to start in this local context. And so, but like I said, I, I think they're all related. I mentioned how it's related to the protests. I think it's also related to a presidential election. I think also, Melissa, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you've looked back on many of the major racial flare-ups in our country, uh, they've tacked on to election years. Not in every case, but a lot of them have been during election years. That's really, really helpful. I think um, that one, one takeaway I've had from this year reflecting on these issues is just the importance, and I know you'll share this with me, of reading and the importance of history. And it's one thing to read a hot take online and, and we can have good articles. I mean, you and I, we work in a business that talks about articles online, but sitting in stories and really listening to them, I think is profoundly important in this discussion. And I know for me, I've been shocked um, about stories that I never heard. Even I love history. I love American history. And you know, for the first time this year, I finally read The Warmth of Other Suns. It's been sitting on my nightstand for about three years. And I have to admit that it was a little thick and it intimidated me <laughs> before I jumped in. But I, I had never even heard of this great migration. You know, I'd heard of lots of other things, Trail of Tears, all these other stories that you've heard, Manifest Destiny, you've studied in American history. And I had never heard of this great migration that happened from the South to the North. Um, and it's, it's just you sit in the stories for a long time when you read a book instead of just reading an article with this opinion or that opinion. And so as the church continues these discussions, one thing I've been encouraged by is how many books I saw, even on Amazon, that were being purchased about racial issues. And so that was hugely encouraging to me as we looked at this conversation. And Wilkerson, she also came out with Cast this year, which I don't recommend the same way that I would Wormpath of Other Sons. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's that we're not lacking for resources. And there's a lot of, I think, catch up that a lot of us have to do, which is one reason why, Melissa, I've just focused primarily on the Deep South and primarily on Birmingham of just trying to understand my own context there. Now, I think I'd be remiss without mentioning on this topic the fact that Let's Talk, which has been a wonderful podcast this year. I think we're very proud of at TGC. And you're joined in there by Jasmine Holmes and Jackie Hill Perry. I don't think you guys talked about racial topics this year, did you? We, we did have an episode on friendships with people who aren't like you. So that was where we touched on all sorts of things, though. I mean, not just you know, friends of different races, but friends of different genders. Yeah. I mean, friends of different seasons. So we kind of broadly talked about it there um, and how important it is actually to have people in our lives who are different than us. So we talked about it a little bit. Well, the reason I bring that up is because like you said, with Amazon, it's such an overwhelming space. Uh, you, you don't know what you're going to get. You, you might see, oh, Jamar Tisby's book is doing really well. Okay, that's interesting. Maybe I'll pick that up also with White Fragility, or I'll pick this up with Stamped from the beginning. It can be very confusing as to know how to discern. One of the things that's guided me in this process has been African-Americans who I have known for a very long time have had many opportunities to be able to to get to know and to learn from over the years and have developed friendship and also trust there. And 
Jasmine and Jackie are two of the most impressive people I know in their demeanor, in their learning, in their godliness. I had the blessing, and I know many of you out there listening to Gospel Bound, it was one of our best listened to episodes, talking with Jasmine about Mother to Son, and her book, that excellent book that came out this year. Interestingly, that interview came about because of Let's Talk. So we had decided, of course, you know this, working with our good friend and and colleague, Betsy Howard, we had decided to invite and and work with Jackie and Jasmine with you on that podcast. And I think think the the chemistry has just been great. I mean, I love to listen to you guys talk on on whatever subject. But then our our producer, Heather, uh, who works on both of the podcasts, she was making recommendations to me about Gospel Bound. And she said, Colin, have you thought about having Jasmine on your show? And I said, well, I mean, I love Jasmine's work. I, I, I mean, she's just incredibly impressive. But for some reason, it just had not occurred to me. She gave one of the best interviews. It was outstanding. I've got kids around the same age. Um, but growing up in such a, I mean, both in the Deep South, but in, in t- very different environments in many different ways. And so just being able to see through her eyes as a parent and as a mother, and we're talking about boys specifically, was just very illuminating. And I would just commend more of us to take time, like Melissa's saying, listen to the podcasts, read the books, exercise some discernment, offer a little bit of trust of other members of the body of Christ who are seeking the Lord and the Holy Spirit is working through them and they have something to offer that that you don't. But generally, that's what Gospel Bound is all about, is being able to find those people and just being able to listen to them and defer to them. And I think what Let's Talk is is a lot about is how you reach that sort of spiritual discernment and growth within companionship and friendship within community. At least that's one of the things that I love seeing about Let's Talk, and I think has made it so popular for people to listen to. Yeah, I've enjoyed so much my time with both Jackie and with Jasmine. And I actually, in between our recording sessions, read both of their books this year. And I told them they are both so wonderful with words and with writing. Um, But it made me feel like I got to know them better. Even, Even after I'd been sitting at a table with them for days talking, I knew parts of their story from reading their books that I wouldn't have known otherwise. And so I highly recommend Jasmine's Mother to Son and Jackie's is Gay Girl, Good God. And both of those are just excellent resources to read and to listen and to learn and just on, on many topics. But I think it's just really helpful. Another author that we want to talk about today um, and is part of your top 10 theological stories is the death of J.I. Packer at age 93 who has had an impact on so many of us. Um, can you share a little bit about what his writings and his books have meant in your own life and how you've seen them impact generations? I mean, kids are still reading them today. You know, I mean, it's it's not like his words, you know, he's not the new author. They're still reading these books and talking about these concepts today. But how, how were you first introduced and how have those words impacted you? And Melissa, you're my go-to on what the kids these days are <laughs> reading. You're my you're my inside source on that kind of stuff. I've um, gotten really old because I have college age students or children. <laughs> oh, it's awful. That's, that's right. Um, I also should say I had a, a funny aside here. Uh, Melissa's talking about big books that intimidate her. You always got to be able to see through uh, Melissa's bluster. Um, Melissa reads a lot of books, and plenty of them are pretty big. Um, but I do appreciate when she took my recommendation on one book oh. and she just you know, unthinkingly decided to click on it on Amazon. And then this like 1200 page book arrives on her, on her doorstep. And I think she may have uh, said some inappropriate things under her breath about me. You've got to give like warnings, like, you know, warnings about this book contains 1200 pages before you recommend them. It's actually, a, it's, a, it's actually a trilogy. <laughs> um, it's just been bound into one uh, book, but you liked it. It was so, really good. Really okay. Good. So you can't complain. <laughs> Let's talk about Packer. You know, I, I have the a blessing of actually having known him personally, even sort of more so than through the books. Uh, I mean, I do, I mean, I can jump in line and recommend knowing God. I think my personal favorite, favorite of his is evangelism and the sovereignty of God. 
um, just find it to be an kind of inescapably obvious argument, I suppose, <laughs> for Calvinism and evangelism. And I grew up in an environment that valued both, you know, evangelism and the sovereignty of God and Calvinistic theology. So all of that came pretty naturally to me at an early stage, which is where Packer's writings were especially um, important to me. He was working still at the time as one of the advisory editors for Christianity Today when I started. So I got to see him on a regular basis. Uh, I would often go to dinner with him. Usually uh, my wife would come along. Usually we'd bring one of our friends as well. Um, and I'd call up usually my friends from college and say, hey, do you want to drive out to the suburbs tonight? We're going to some random you know, usually he loved Indian food and it could never be too spicy for him, but I'm not an Indian food fan. So we usually settled for some kind of Pan-Asian cuisine um, if we weren't eating in like the Holiday Inn hotel um, restaurant or something like that, where he was staying in Carroll Stream, Illinois. Um, but I got to see him, I guess, behind the scenes in those environments. And that's what sticks with me. And that's what I take away with my top 10 theology stories of the year is how in our responses to him, we see something in him that has been hard for us to emulate, which is holding together very strong theological convictions while holding optimistic views toward other people. And I wrote in college about all of my disagreements with him about evangelicals and Catholics together, and I maintain all of those disagreements and yet sev several of my closest mentors, including him, were heavily involved in that group. But in my experience with them, it was never about theological compromise. It was about a kind of optimism and hope about what the Lord could do to reform the church. And I think it's interesting that a lot of those men are historians who are heavily invested in especially the Reformation period or in Packer's case, the Puritan era where they were seeking to bring reform to the church. And so they held out more hope than I have of reform in Rome and through the papacy. And yet it didn't come from a place of doctrinal compromise, but from a place of hope that through the Spirit's work that he would be pleased to answer and fulfill the prayers of John 17. Again, I'm too skeptical. I'm the journalist. So, you know, I'm too skeptical about that. But, um, that's that's what we've seen in him. And so it's it's increasingly hard these days to be able to hold strong theological positions, but to have a hopeful attitude toward other people. Uh, was there any Packer works that stood out to you in particular? I mean, you, you were kind of from that era of IVP in InterVarsity where Packer stuff was was uh, really spreading quickly. You'll laugh about this. Um the first Christmas, Mike and I, Mike's my husband now, um, Mike and I were dating, which was about, I think, like 28 Christmases ago. Um, he gave me, for Christmas, three books. And he kind of always hates when I tell the story. He's like, I sound so terrible. I gave you three books for Christmas. I was like, this is what made me know that you were the one. Are you kidding? Um, he, he gave me Pilgrim's Progress. He gave me Through the Gates of Splendor. And he gave me Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Um, Three books. I mean, yeah, isn't that a winner? Like you look at that and you're like, he is a winner. Yeah, I mean, um, but all of those books I still love today. They've all profoundly impacted me. Um, but Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God was the first one I read by him. And I still understand man's responsibility, human responsibility and God's sovereignty in different ways because of that book. It's it's still what I go to when I want to refresh on how to explain that well to others. And so I'm so thankful. I never met him in person. I didn't know that you had worked for him or worked with him. That's really great. Um, but his clarity of thinking and um, his willingness to say really hard things. I mean, even in knowing God, when he talks about the wrath of God, it is, I mean, it is hard to, to walk in that and read it. And he explains it so well. And you walk away with the sense of even this is part of the beauty of knowing God. Um, even these hard doctrines, we can say um, that this is the God we serve and he is beautiful and lovely in all of these ways. And so he had a real passion that came through in his writing, which I appreciate so much. Um, the last story I want to cover, you actually have 10 stories you cover in your article, but the last one I really want to talk about for just a little, a little bit, um, 
is about social media in our lives. I think as a mom, social media caught me a little bit off guard. Um, my daughter was coming to those first teenage years right when things like Instagram were beginning. And so I looked at it like, oh, how cute. You share your little pictures on this little platform. And I didn't really think about any of the negative effects, for instance, of what it does to a teenage girl when one friend gets 100 likes and another friend gets 200 likes. Um, I maybe recognize, oh, someone might share bad pictures. Like I had those concerns, you know, when, when I looked at it. But one thing I hadn't heard anything about until this year with um, this documentary that came out, I believe it was on Netflix. Yeah, um, Social Dilemma, yeah. On the Social Dilemma was that they're actually using an algorithmic formula um, to encourage us to constantly be on our phones. So we might know the the out front concerns we have about social media, like it really does affect where we get our news. It affects how we relate with other people. And it even reflects our view of normalcy. Like I did not know that as a family, we were supposed to go apple picking every fall until I started to see it on social media all the time. I'm like, Oh, good families go apple picking in the fall. I need to be a good family. You know, it really does affect what we even think is normal. But what I was unaware uh, was this algorithmic, technology behind these apps and what they're doing in our lives. Can you explain a little bit about what's going on there and what that documentary really exposed for us? What we talk about on Gospel Bound is the search for firm faith in an anxious age. And in the book that I have coming out next year uh, called Gospel Bound, Resolute Hope, living with resolute hope for an anxious age is really built off that basic concept. And it's because, Melissa, we're fighting an, an uphill battle in a worldly sense. Now, in the divine sense, we're good to go. But in a worldly sense, we're fighting an uphill battle because all of these technologies are working to make us angry and to make us afraid. And when they make us angry and they make us afraid, they keep our attention. And they make us vigilant to then spread that information to other people so that they can be similarly vigilant. Uh, this is powerful in many different kinds of communities, but it, it can be especially powerful within mom communities online because you can valorize all of it under the banner of I'm taking care of my kids. I'm doing my job to protect them. Not realizing that you are being assimilated into a culture of fear and loathing. And that whatever you might profess with your mouth about Jesus Christ and about what you believe theologically in your heart, you believe that you can only accomplish and achieve these goals of protecting your family through this ever-constant online vigilance against all of the people who are out there trying to destroy you, not realizing that the people who are actually trying to destroy you are the ones who are feeding you this material through the algorithm on your very phone, which you think is the tool that you are using to fight against. The tool that you are using to fight against this problem is actually the tool that is destroying you. It is the conduit that is turning you into a person who is not trusting in God, not loving in other people, um, not able to, to see God for who he is in scripture, but instead filtering all of it through a kind of a, a lens that suggests that this is my only way to protect what I love from everything that's trying to destroy us. And if that doesn't have theological implications, I don't know what does. And if we can't see this year of all years of how that has happened, remember, I mentioned how all the three top stories are all related to one another and how would we not see this as undergirding all of them? Uh, the very technologies that allow us to see the injustice and bring justice. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. I think especially about the case of Ahmaud Arbery. What a horrible situation. And only because of that kind of spread through social media and smartphones and things like that. It's the only way that we have that. have seen justice there. Yet at the same time, the very sense of, of panic and fear and hopelessness develops also through the same media. 
which shape our very perception of things and whether or not these things are happening all the time or when, you know, less often than we realize it's hard to be able to get perspective because of all things, social media, staring down at a phone in your hands is not designed to give you perspective. It's just, it's designed to destroy your perspective and to focus you in on only yourself um, and all these other threats. So, I mean, we could talk forever about that and maybe that's a, a good let's talk episode you guys can cover in the future, but uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's how I see it connected to theology at least. Yeah. We often, I think one of the biggest takeaways I had from watching the documentary was we think we're using social media and it's really using us. I mean, there, there, there are advertisements that come up, you know, I feel like I said I need a new purse and then all of a sudden on Instagram, like five new purses show themselves. I don't even, I don't even think Melissa, I'm saying it. I literally (laughs) think it's only in my head. I mean, Melissa, I will go to the refrigerator and I'll grab orange juice and then there's orange juice in my phone yeah. and my Facebook feed. Yeah. The, I, I don't, I don't know this isn't okay. I mean, this, if you had said this five or 10 years ago, this would have been like tech dystopia mm-hmm. that you put in some sort of futuristic thing to explain how we're all going to be ruined by big brother or something. Yeah. And now it's just like, Yeah. I do need to order more orange juice because I just threw this in the trash. Yes. It's, it's kind of scary. It's definitely kind of scary. Um, well, I know that you did not spend the past year only on social media because you actually have three books coming out next year. So you took this COVID time and um, used it well in, in some level because I know what, what other people might not know. It might seem like, oh, he's doing all these books in January, February, March, and they're coming out in April. Well, no, they all <laughs> happen a year in advance. So you've been busy um, you often talk to other people about their books. I would love to hear about these books, why you wrote them, and maybe even just their titles, because I'm sure you can't get into all the reasons that you wrote all of them, but I'd love to hear a little bit about them. Melissa, how many books did you publish in 2020? Yeah, but publishing books is different than writing them. <laughs> I'm just saying, how many books did you have come out in 2020, Melissa? I had three, but but only one was a kid's book. That was like 60 words. That's totally easy. <laughs> And one was an edited book that I didn't even write a chapter. So really just one, one real we'll, book. Uh, one. We'll come back later and talk about Melissa's edited book. Uh, check out her children's book. Also uh, check out her book on, on mentoring uh, published through Crossway and TGC this year. Um, I mentioned the gospel bound uh, living with resolute hope in an anxious age. It's coming out in April, co-written with our good friend, our beloved friend, uh, Sarah Zalstra, her first book. Um, very excited about that book. I think if if you're looking for encouragement, you're looking for a morale boost, learning about what the scriptures tell us about this age, about what Christians are doing around the world, I think you'll get that morale boost in this book. I think you will also get a way forward of things that you can do, things that you can tangibly put into practice to love your neighbors, to show hospitality, to care for the weak, to um, you know, to love your enemies, even this book will be able to help you with that. So there's that book. That's the one I'm super excited about. I have another book coming out in April with another one of our colleagues, Ivan Mesa, Before You Lose Your Faith, Deconstructing Doubt in the Church, published by TGC. That's an edited uh, multi-author book. You guys may have seen the huge sort of phenomenon of deconstruction about people with their perfect Instagram pictures about how they're leaving the faith with this pure script that you write out. We've got, we've reached out to about 10, 12 of our best, uh, most insightful friends to be able to, um, uh, to be able to write about this phenomenon from different angles. I think you guys are going to love that. You've got uh, Karen Pryor, Rachel Gilson, Claude Acho, Brett McCracken, Trevin Wax, uh, some really great people in that book. And then I have a, co-writing a book with Jonathan Lehman called Rediscover Church, Why the Body of Christ is Essential. That's coming out in August with Crossway. The goal there is sometime, Lord willing, next year we're going to be back in church together, in person. And when we do so, we may be surprised by all the people who are not there, either because of their jobs or because of their 
views on racial issues or political issues that we've been talking about on here. And then many other people have simply drifted off without that regular rhythm of church. This book is to give to the other, everybody in your church, everybody in your church to help remind them why the body of Christ is essential and gives them a biblical roadmap for how they can rediscover the primacy of the gathering of the local church at a time of, at least in our lifetime, sort of unprecedented upheaval um, with that. So very excited about about that. I think it's one of the things that we love most, Melissa, about TGC is just all the different things we've got going on. And I know you have, uh, you, you we're hoping this year to do a women's conference, Lord willing, we're going to be doing it next year. Yeah. I mean, that's so, so those are the books that we've been working on. But yeah, we're always we're always working on different things at TGC. I'm really looking forward to all of them, but they're all so necessary. I mean, we've come off this hard year to have a book that's about gospel bound, that's about hope and looking at what we can do. I, I think it's such a contrast to like the social dilemma. We we sometimes think act activism is by going online and posting something and there, that's all I needed to do. Whereas I love what you and Sarah have done. You're telling real stories of people who are living um, hopeful, gospel-centered lives, and it changes the world in really small ways, really, you know, really small ways in their area. But it's so encouraging to hear those stories. And then just but it's a big effect. I mean, it's a big yeah. effect, Melissa, when everybody's small stories are happening at the same time, and all of a sudden, when you see them from a broader perspective, you realize God is at work. Um, I don't even necessarily realize, realize yeah. it. And that's the morale boost. And again, hopefully also the model for what we can do ourselves. Yeah. I, and, and that's why we so need the church, because when you're living with real people in real lives in real face to face, you see that. And the more we go to this online church situation, I hope it's made us hungry for the real thing. I hope we've seen how unsatisfying it is in the long term. Um, but all of those are going to be um, Lord willing, used in great ways to support and encourage the church. Um, another thing that, that two of them will come out in April, just in time for the national conference, which we just just launched, just launched registration now open. Yeah, so I want to keep things as simple as possible. The theme for 2021, which I can't think of a better one, Jesus is greater. Mm. Jesus is greater than all these divisions we've been talking about, all of this turmoil, all of the hatreds, all of the fears. Um, even you know the the money, the stock. I mean, just politics on and on and on. Jesus is greater. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. Um, certainly walks through the entire Old Testament. I know you love this book as well, uh, Mike. Your husband's got a commentary coming out on Hebrews next year. Um, this is the consistent theme. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's great. I mean, on and on and on. So we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews that way. Um, we've got the typical lineup of all kinds of different breakout sessions and whatnot. The, the theme for this year is one conference, but with an online version and also with an in-person version. In person, if everything's going great, you're comfortable, you can join us in Indianapolis uh, this April, coming right on the heels, uh, the women's conference in there. So you can join us for that. Um, and we'll probably be doing limited capacity, probably with social distancing, probably with masks. That's what I would expect, though we don't know exactly what's going to be happening with the vaccine and things like that. So uh, that's the plan for the for the um, uh, in-person version. There's also going to be an online version with special interviews, special features, um, on-demand options for you to be able to access that material. It's actually the only way for you to be able to access all of the different material will be to sign up for the online version of the conference. Here's the key. Now through January 1, sign up for $139, which is one of the best rates we've ever given on any of our national events. And you'll choose next year. Next year, you, you, you can choose, do you want to come in person or do you want to join us online? And the key is, I think, either way, you get five free books. You get books by Tim Keller. You get a book by Trevin Wax, by Rebecca McLaughlin. You get the book that we were just talking about right there on deconstructing doubt in the church before you lose your faith. You get a book by our friend Jeff Robinson on speech um, and the gospel uh, from the book of James, which is the women's conference theme. Uh, so you get that whether you come in person or you can get that through our online store. But that's the key. 
We're going to be doing same rate and you sign up now for that best rate through January 1. And then later you get to choose whether or not your, your comfort level on joining us in person or staying at home online. And so I'm pretty excited about this. I actually think that we're going to maintain some of these different characteristics coming into next year. Um, I mean, in, in future years, meaning some of the online versions, some of the books that you get when you sign up for the conference. Um, I mean, Melissa, you and I have been working to forever on the women's conference, uh, <laughs> slated to be our biggest conference of all time. The Lord had different plans for 2020, somehow better plans. We're waiting to see exactly how. How are you feeling about the women's conference then heading into next April? By the way, the week after Easter, in case people are yeah. wondering, week after yeah. Easter is when our conferences kick in. My biggest lesson learned is never entitle a conference steadfast because that <laughs> has become a living parable. And it definitely <laughs> this year. It's been amazing. I, I actually memorized the first chapter of James when we were working through and studying it before, like just preparing it, preparing my heart for this book that we were going to study. And the words of, of, you know, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But then the next verse is, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And I, I think for us in this conference planning, just so all of our listeners know, I mean, you know, we, we have lacked wisdom, meaning we don't know what to do. We have prayed yeah. And prayed and prayed yeah. and asked the Lord to show us what is best. And so we are really hopeful that providing an online option for both conferences that will be really robust and really hopefully encouraging, whether we're in your living room or whether you're in Indianapolis, um, Lord willing. And that's the other thing we keep saying from James 4. If the Lord yeah. wills, that's been the new tagline for this year. If the Lord wills, um, we just really hope to be able to encourage our hearts in that way that we all need through these conferences. So I'm looking forward to them. Um, I'm hopeful for what the Lord can do through them. Um, and just thankful that he provides these ways for us to do it. Um, I want to ask you one other question. We're, we're getting down on time. I could talk to you. Our, our normal conversations go at least an hour and a half. This, so we've Yeah, got- this is this is like, we're just warming up now for our normal conversations, <laughs> Melissa. People are just getting to see what our lives are like uh, <laughs> off the podcast. I know. Well, I want to, I want to jump and ask, um, not only we, we work these jobs for TGC, but I, I think I can speak for you when we say this is that we love working for TGC. And I'd love for this opportunity at the end of the year for you to be able to share a little bit about why you choose this. There are a ton of other jobs you could be doing in the world. Why TGC? Why this organization? Why this mission? Do you spend to choose the life you've been given? really to spend your life working here? Why, why this organization? Well, I think, Melissa, when you just listen to all the things that you and I get to do, it's a bit of a no-brainer just on that level. I mean, I think about the next season of Gospel Bound and all the people that I want to talk to with that, Russell Moore, Rebecca McLaughlin, Brett McCracken, Jen Wilk, and just these friends of mine whose writings I've benefited from so much, to be able to brainstorm with you about another season of, of Let's Talk. I mean, we could go on and on when it comes to the podcast, when it comes to the books, when it comes to the conferences. It is a privilege that we do not take lightly at all of being able to do these things in ways that will produce resources that we believe can fundamentally build up the local church and help all Christians to live in a gospel-centered way, applying the gospel to all of life. When I go back to it though, Melissa, uh, it just goes back to the, the foundation documents of TGC that Don Carson and Tim Keller took the lead with that men like, um, you know, John Piper and John Yates and on and on and on that then shaped into these documents that we, that we advance here at TGC um, going back to 2007. When you look at that vision for the church, a lot was different back in 2007. And yet still today, that's what encourages my soul as the spirit works within me to say, that's a beautiful church. That is, that is worthy of the blood of the lamb that was shed to purchase these lives for eternity. Um, this is a church that lives out our biblical callings, that, that lives them in a way that is 
universal to time and place, um, meaning orthodox, but at the same time, it's contextualized to different places and different times. It's not an American vision. It's not a 21st century vision. And yet at the same time, it works perfectly well for the 21st century in the United States. It's flexible and yet it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's trusted and it's true and it's ancient. And that's just what's beautiful that the same things that we've been calling for um, in a different time in 2007 are the same things that we uphold today, the same beauty and the same hope that we'll have a church that's that, that, that seeks prophetic wisdom and obedience as opposed to just partisanship. I mean, on and on and on, I could go on forever on this, but um, in the interest of time, I'll just say in addition to, being able to do so many fun things with excellent godly colleagues like yourself, doing all of it together for a vision that transcends Presbyterian and non-denominational and Baptist and Anglican churches around the country because it's all around the world because it's all centered on the unchanging gospel of Jesus Christ is simply beautiful. And, um, you know, Melissa, likewise, you, you've had so many different jobs at TGC. You started out as a math teacher, um, you've been working at home with your kids over the years. There's a lot of different things that you could be doing and you, you do the impossible in your work. You go above and beyond. I mean, literally people, the, the stories I could tell of projects that I've pitched to Melissa that are completely ludicrous in terms of timeline that she actually pulls off are, are pretty amazing, but you, you could be doing a lot of things. Melissa, you're one of the most capable people that I know. So why TGC? You know, I have to say, um, the first introduction I really had to TGC, I can remember Mike years ago telling me, you should read articles on this website. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, that was when reading online was fairly new. But um, the first real introduction I had was the TGC Women's Conference in 2012. Um, It was the very first conference that was put on for women. And it was so unique and different from any women's conference I had been to. And I can, I can still remember John Piper describing the robe of God in the temple in Isaiah 6. Like I can still hear his voice talking about it, how it filled the temple. And I can still hear Paige Ben Brown saying, after the better comes the best. And it yeah. basically each, each passage was just all through scripture. And we, it was just teaching, um, the storyline of scripture. And since then, you know, we've done, um, different books of the Bible, like Nehemiah, and we've done first Peter. Um, and what I've appreciated so much was just this deep effort to put women teaching and teaching God's word, not, not a concept, not, um, kind of a, a new topic, but just teach God's word. And, I have to say, when I look at what TGC has done, it's done so many wonderful things, but it's just hard for me um, to share well what I think it's done for women in the church. I really, um, what I see happening among our teams and just the people who we work together, it's such a beautiful picture of complementarity. I wish people could be on our editorial calls and hear how we really are brothers and sisters and we, yeah. you know, and, and like that, sometimes we get in squabbles. Sometimes fight. Our sometimes fight. Um, but, you know, we have these great conversations and I'm so thankful to get to work in an organization where um, we can uphold the truth that we firmly believe that men and women are, are created beautifully equal, but also distinct, um, equal in their reflection of God, but distinct in what we're called to do as embodied males and females. However, what I love is that both voices are at the table, men and women, and we're working through these things together and we're talking about these ideas together. And I really just love getting to to serve with brothers in ministry and that it's not an organization that's all females or all males, but it's, we're, we're doing this together. And so I've been so thankful for that. Um, it's been just a great encouragement to, to my soul. And when you look at our website, I think it reflects that. You know, we have men and women. Women have this place to write um, that I don't think was really available in the same way. There were a lot of mommy blogs, which are fine and we need those. Um, but there wasn't a place for really women to write about theological subjects and be heard by the church at large. And I have to say, Colin, 
you open that door for so many of us. I know I would not be writing for TGC. I went to a session in 2012 and Colin was up there interviewing someone and he said, we really want female writers. So if you'd like to write for us. And that's when I met Matt. I walked up and talked to Matt Smethurst, one of our editors. And I said, I can write for you if you need writers. I never in a million years would have sent an article into TGC. But the, the saying, when you said we need female authors, just the invitation to come and write for TGC um, was such a powerful thing. And you opened that door for so many female authors. Um, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for that. Well, I think, I think Melissa, the best way to show the truth of complementarity from God's word is to, as we teach it, to live it and to show that it is what God has intended for human flourishing for men and women. You and I have both been in environments, both complementarian and egalitarian, that do not live out these values as well as they should. And I think that's both, it's been motivating to both of us uh, to be able to show a better way um, because God's word is true. And because he's good to all of us, men and women. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, you just talk about why is it a privilege to work here? It's because we get to live out those values best as we can, praying for wisdom, repenting sometimes after those fights. Um, I love, I got, to, I got an email on Saturday from one of our colleagues who was a little miffed at me for some things that I had published and had a good little back and forth with that colleague. And uh I mean, I just appreciate that. I love that we can have that conversation. I love that we can disagree on things. I love we can sometimes even be a little sharp with each other and still come back in love um, because there's a shared um, trust in Christ there. Well, we think about all this and, and yeah, typical for us, Melissa, we've talked longer than we expected and wanted to. Um, but uh, this is a this is an opportunity to say thank you to literally tens and tens and tens of thousands of, of men and women this year who have listened to gospel bound, who have listened to let's talk, who have made those podcasts successful and make it possible for us to do this for you. Uh, so we'd love to have your help here, especially as it comes to the end of the year, we'd love for you to partner with us to support this work that we're doing. Here are some ways that you can do it. Um, the first way that is, I think, the easiest is to become a monthly giver to TGC. Just go to tgc.org slash give. And we do want to be able to give you a tangible thank you. Not only the thank you from this podcast, but we have something we'd like to share with you. Everybody who signs up uh, to give TGC at least $25 a month or more, we're going to send you a copy of two books. Two books we're going to send them appropriately for what we've just been talking about here, we're going to send the book that I edited a couple years ago with Jeff Robinson called 12 Faithful Men. And we're going to send everybody a copy of 12 Faithful Women, edited by Melissa and also our friend Kristen Weatherill. So, so you become a monthly giver to TGC at the end of the year, tgc.org slash give. You sign up $25 a month. We will send you uh, a copy each of those two books. You can also support us if you don't want to become a monthly giver or if you'd like to give more, uh, feel free. Just give a one-time gift, same place, tdc.org slash give. There's another way to support us beyond the prayers that we obviously covet from you um, as we deal with some difficult topics on these podcasts uh, would also be simply to subscribe to them and to leave a rating and review, especially Apple Podcasts, but other places that'll help with as well. What this does is help others who are searching for hope find gospel-centered resources like Gospelbound and Let's Talk. One of the things that we recognize often is that people stumble. It's the internet. They stumble across tgc.org. They stumble across a podcast that maybe somebody recommended to them, or maybe they simply searched and found, or maybe they saw Jackie Hill Perry on Instagram and decided to somehow you know, navigate over to TGC there. Um, the way you can help us to do that, if you love and appreciate the, the, the content that we produce here, is simply by leaving a rating and review of this, um, of this podcast. So I know Melissa, you guys typically end with a favorite thing. I don't know if we have time, but I do want to ask about maybe a book that you enjoyed this year in closing. I, that's what I love to do. I mean, I always do a book 
you always do you always do a favorite thing. I always love to end with a book whenever I can remember to do it. Why don't you give me one book, one book recommendation that people add to their Christmas list for themselves or give to somebody else? Yeah, the book I read this year that I love the most, and I'm going to read it. I'm already rereading it again. I'm showing it to Colin. You can't see it on on, on the podcast. It's <laughs> Keeping the Heart by John Flavel. Um, I think I've been – I started reading it because I've been so concerned as we look in the world around us um, for the deconstruction, the deconversions, the people who leave for moral reasons who leave the faith, the people who leave for intellectual reasons who leave the faith, the people who leave because life is hard and they don't understand the God who brought them into a hard situation. Um, and so I ordered this book and it is all about kind of our role in keeping the heart. He says it is the most important work we do um, is to, in some ways, inflame our love for God throughout the lives. Now, this does not all our lives. This does not mean that we are responsible for our salvation or even our sanctification, but he just really walks you through what does it mean to fight this battle of keeping our hearts centered on God through a long life of loving the Lord and ministry. Um, and Give so us I've the loved title. It. Give us the title again, Melissa. Keeping the Heart. How to Maintain Your Love for God by John Flavel, probably written in the 1600s, still extremely relevant for today. And it's not even very thick. It's not even, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you the right, it's only got 117 pages. I'm a nice friend when I recommend books that are 117 pages. <laughs> not not like me, keeping, <laughs> yeah. keeping the heart. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. What about you? Do you have a book from the year? Well, I will. I, it's a little, little bit of a preview of next year. I mean, I got to talk with the most amazing, I mean, just some of the interviews that stood out this year, Paul Tripp, Jamie Smith, Carl Truman, their books that came out this year were simply, simply spectacular. Well, I mean, Jamie's came out last year, I think. But um, anyway, those books, which both Paul and Carl both ended up in TGC's annual book awards um, for their books. You can go check those out there. But um, you know, the one that I'm looking forward to with Gospel Bound for next year, Joseph uh, Henrik, it's called The Weirdest People in the World. Um, the What this is about is he coined the term or helped to define the term weird, which is Western, educated, industrialized, uh, rich, and democratic. So essentially to describe the kind of makeup of what is the West and his thesis, he's the chair of the Department of, of um, Evolutionary Biology, I think, or something like that at Harvard. His entire thesis is that the West is created by Christianity and it's created by Christianity because of the ban on marrying your cousin. So because you could not marry your cousin, it destroyed clan structures around the, you know, what became Christendom. And when it did that, it freed up people to be able to associate with one another outside of their narrow clan responsibilities and to be able to organize together around ideas. And as they organized around ideas, what did they do? They created trade guilds. What did they do? They created universities. They created science. They, I mean, all kinds, and then create that, but I mean, so they, they, they work to advance science. So it says to this day, you can continue to see that the most Western educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic countries are those that were Christian for the longest time, where you have the fewest incidences today of cousins marrying each other, and especially where you have Protestantism. And then if you want to find the complete opposite, you'll see the highest percentages correlate to places where the highest, you know, highest percentages of cousins who continue to marry each other. So the simple case is when somebody asks you what you think, you have the space to be able to think about it yourself as an individual, as opposed to simply saying, I don't think because that's what some sort of person within my clan tells me I have to think. Um, so it gives you a kind of independence of thought and independence of association um, that then ultimately radically transforms the world. So people who listen to Gospel Bound, they know this is the kind of thing that I love and that I love to talk with people about. So hopefully we'll have that author on next year. I haven't asked him yet, a little technicality. But typically when people tell you you want to talk about their books, they like to do it. So um, kind of oh, like I can't wait to listen to that one. That's fascinating. So, 
So we'll see. But that's uh, that's one of my favorite things. And I haven't. I think I can't remember if I've put that on any of my book lists for this year. But anyway, that's a preview just for the podcast listeners. Speaking of which, thank you, thank you for listening to this special mashup slash crossover uh, episode of Gospel Bound and Let's Talk. It's a privilege throughout 2020 that we've been able to join you on your while you're washing dishes, while you're commuting, while you're working out. However you decide to listen to us, we're very grateful. We appreciate the comments over email, uh, in person, the kind of feedback that we get. One of my uh, people here at Beeson Divinity School who's next door to me, he popped in the other day and said, Colin, doing great with the podcast. I had no idea he was even listening. So that is a huge encouragement. You can also encourage us, um, rate us and review the podcast, sign up to become a monthly donor of $25 or more. We'll send you those books as a thank you. Just go to tgc.org slash give. On behalf of Melissa Kruger, and I can probably say also Jasmine and Jackie, the, the hosts of Let's Talk. I can also say as the host of Gospel Bound, Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening.